0: Our passage this morning is James 5, 7 to 12, so we'll read that and jump in in just a minute. Starting in September, we'll have a new Sunday morning sermon series called The Book of the Twelve. The Book of the Twelve. In the Protestant tradition, if you look just at the table of contents in your Bible, we divide the Scriptures into Old Testament and New Testament. And the way our Old Testaments are arranged, the last 12 books in the Old Testament, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, those books we call the minor prophets, not because they're minor in importance, but just because the books are short, and we divide them all up. In the Jewish tradition, their scriptures, they don't have obviously an Old and a New Testament, they have the scriptures. And they have all of the same material we have in our Old Testament. No more, no less. All the stuff is there. They just arrange it a little bit differently, and they combine it a little bit differently. And in the middle of their scriptures, they have one book called the Book of the Twelve, and it's all of those minor prophets, Hosea all the way to Malachi, crammed together in one book. And my guess is, if someone were to stop you on the street or at work this week or shoot you a text and say, hey, tell me what you know about the Book of Hosea, you would say, well, I don't know much. What about Joel or Obadiah or Nahum? They're books that we don't give a lot of attention into, and so what we're going to do, starting in September, is give one Sunday morning to each of the minor prophets and hopefully at least give you some sort of frame of reference for who these guys were and what they were writing about and preaching about. But we've got to finish James first. So we're in James chapter 5. By now, if you've been here at all. You've probably heard me say this. James has 108 verses and it has 59 commands. The commands that we're looking at this morning in James 5 7 to 12 center on the issue of patience. If you just jump ahead and look at verse 7, the very first command right there be patient. Be patient. Now, I've been in lots of different countries around the world, lots of different places. I've had the opportunity to know people from all over the world. I think patience is an issue that all human beings struggle with. So I want to just start out saying this is not just James talking to Americans. All human beings struggle with patience. It may look a little bit different in different countries. It may manifest itself in different ways amongst different people groups. We all struggle with it. I also want to acknowledge Americans are not patient people. Everyone agree with that? We are very impatient. Everything in our culture, everything in our society is sort of driven at the idea that we should seek instant gratification. We should pursue immediate gratification. Don't wait for anything. Have it right now. Why would you wait for it if you could find some way to enjoy it or experience it or possess it or whatever today? And so Americans struggle with patience. I'll give you just a few examples. As I thought this week, I had a long list and I limited it down to three things, okay? We are not patient when it comes to food, right? How many of you have ever worked in a restaurant? Raise your hand. I think every human being should have to work in a restaurant for at least a month. If you don't think people struggle with patience, just go work at a restaurant. Right. This afternoon, your patience is going to be tested. Wherever you go, you live in Odessa, something's going to go wrong at the restaurant, wrong order, not enough servers, somebody gets seated before you. Whatever it is, your patience will be tested. I challenge you, this afternoon, when you go eat, if you go out and eat, just people watch, right? We're always telling our kids, keep your eyes on our table, because they like to stare at other people. But I'm telling you, today, you can stare at other people. Just watch them. Just look at them. Watch the looks on their face. Watch the anxiety. You can just almost see it building up. You can see people getting tense. Watch the people who get up and take their food back or the people who are trying to get the attention of their server. We are impatient when it comes to food. We're also impatient, here's a second example, when it comes to technology. We want our computers and our phones and our internet and all that stuff to be fast. We don't have time to download things. We just want to live stream it, right? We don't have time to wait for something to buffer. We just want to have it immediately. We're on a cell phone plan in our family where they say, we're going to give you unlimited cell phone data. I say, that sounds great. I can use it all I want. But then I get these messages, usually about a week or two weeks before my bill rolls over, and they say, Oh, you're out of high-speed data. So now you're going to use the old slow stuff. And then you try to pull up navigation or your email or whatever, and you think your mind's going to explode, like waiting for that to download, waiting on the little bar to go all the way across. Can you imagine life if we had to go back, just roll it back for one month and all use dial-up Internet? Can you imagine what would happen? Do you remember what dial-up Internet sounds like? In case you've forgotten, let me just play you a little short video clip. Here you go. You ready for this? Some of you are bored already. I don't know much about technology. When it comes to dial-up internet, maybe it has to make all of those sounds. I don't know. But you just look back and you say, couldn't we have come up with, like, some elevator music to play while we're logging on? But that's what we had. So we're impatient about food. We're impatient about technology. We are impatient when it comes to driving. Mmm. Driving. You want everyone in Odessa to drive the speed you want them to drive. That's what you want. (laughs) You want everyone in Odessa to drive in the lane you want them to be in, right? And when they don't, when they go too fast or when they go too slow or when they get in your lane or behind you, or the worst is when somebody's behind you and then they pass you and then they just slow down. And you just think, Why did you do that? We were just fine in order and you had to mess the whole thing up. You know this is a problem for you if you start riding with your kids and your grandkids and they start offering commentary from the back seat. (laughs) And you think, where did you learn such awful language like that? Why would you say something? And then you realize, oh, that's what I say. They sound exactly like me. We're impatient people. And fortunately, James knows that right? All the things that I sort of talked about, restaurants, going out to eat, technology, driving, James didn't have any of that stuff in his day, right? That's why I come back and I say, this is not just an American issue. It's not just a 2018 issue. It's a human issue. And James knows that. It may look different in different places in the world, but it's something that we all struggle with. And what James is going to do in this passage is he going to frame the issue of patience not just on a moral level but on a theological level? And he's going to say to us if you're an impatient person, there's something not quite right with your theology. Now, if you're sitting in the room and you're still thinking, uh, these just, just, just uptight type A people, there's the ones who are impatient, I'm laid back, I'm easygoing, nothing, whatever. Just ask yourself a few of these questions. Think about this. Complaining, discontentment, and irritability are all signs that you struggle with patience. So just think about that in your life. Are you somebody who complains a lot, either out loud to other people? Would your friends say, oh, I can't stand to see that person coming because I know they're going to gripe about whatever happened in their day? Or are you the person we've all hidden on Facebook? You know we can do that, right? You get on there and you complain and you gripe and we just say, I can't can't listen to it anymore. Hide. We're still friends. You think it's all good. You think, why aren't they liking my posts anymore? Why aren't they commenting on our posts? It's because we've hid you. You complain too much. Are you discontent? Are you the kind of person that's always one more whatever away from thinking then you can be happy? One more promotion, then I'll be happy. One more car upgrade, then I'll be happy. One more child, or maybe one less child, and then I'll be happy. Whatever it is, you're just sort of always unsettled, discontent, and there's always something out there that you think, if I could just have that, then it would all be good. Maybe patience is an issue for you. Maybe your issue is irritability. Everything just sets you off. Everyone's an idiot. Everyone doesn't know as much as you. Everyone should just get on board with with how smart you are and how you do things, and you're just sort of always on a a low-grade irritability. I'll be honest with you. I look at that list. I didn't come up with that list. I pulled it out of a, a book about patience, and that list is convicting to me. Everything on that list is convicting to me. And my guess is something on that list is convicting to you. And James is saying right out of the gate, be patient. That's the big idea. It's really simple. James commands Christians to be patient. He doesn't suggest it. He doesn't recommend it. He doesn't say, hey, life would just be so much better if you would be a little more patient. He just says, be patient. And then in what follows, he gives us some encouragement about why we ought to be patient and things that ought to motivate us to be patient people. So that's the big idea. Let's read the passage and then we'll pray and we'll jump in. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that we are impatient people. Father, that's a a product of the place and the time that we live, but it's also just a product of sin in our hearts. And so, Father, we acknowledge the challenges that that come with this issue, Father, not only outside of us, but also inside of us. And we pray this morning that your word would convict us. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand that impatience in our lives is not just a, a moral issue. It's not just an ethical issue. It's not just a character issue, but it's a theological issue. Father, help us to submit our hearts and our minds, and our attitudes to the authority of your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just going to jump in this morning. We're going to talk about how James breaks this down. Three simple thoughts. James encourages us to be patient by giving us three reminders. And I just want you to see the reminders in the text. We'll try to make some application, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So number one. This ought to encourage us to be patient. James says, Jesus is coming back. He reminds us as he brings up this issue of patience, the first thing he goes to is the the reality, the truth, the certainty. Jesus is coming back. And in James' mind, that ought to make us more patient. Look what he says. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. When Jesus comes back, you won't have to worry about patience anymore. Until then, be patient. And he talks about the farmer, and he comes back in verse 8, and he says, You also be patient. Establish your hearts. Why? Why should we do this? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Jesus is going to come back. And he says, Don't grumble. Right? Don't, be, don't be griping about each other. Don't be complaining about each other. Don't be irritable and, and that person that's always sort of voicing your frustrations and your, your problems. Don't do that so that you don't be judged. Why? Because the judge is standing at the door. Jesus is going to come back. The judge is going to return. That truth ought to move us to be patient people. The idea is that if your circumstances today In your family, or your work, or your health, or your finances, whatever. If they're not what you would want them to be, James says, be patient. It's not always going to be that way. Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to set every wrong right. So until then, all these things that you struggle with on the issue of patience and impatience, he's saying, just remind yourself, Jesus is going to come back. And the way things are now that you're not content with, happy with, satisfied with, they're going to change then. And he points to this, this picture of the farmer. He says, think about the farmer waiting on the early and the late rains. Now, look, in Odessa, we take rain whenever we can get it. We don't care when it comes. But in the Middle East, these farmers looked for early rains in October and late rains about five to six months later. And they needed both of them. It didn't get a ton of rain, but it's sort of seasonally. That's when it would show up. And they say, we need the early rains to prepare the soil, and we put the seed in the ground, and things begin to grow. But we also need the late rains to come along when it's harvest time so that the crop can be brought to maturity. And in the meantime, what can the farmer do? just wait. Just wait. You don't control the rain. You don't control the weather. You can't hasten the rain. You just wait. And James says, that's sort of what you've got to be like. God knows what you need. He's going to provide it. And until he does, you need to be patient. I just want you to see that this is not the advice of the prosperity gospel preachers that we hear so much about today. The prosperity gospel preachers say to you, there's something in your life that you're not content about. Maybe it's your health or your finances or your job or your your family or whatever. And what you need to do is just have enough faith so that that gets changed now. You need to go ahead and send in that seed money to our ministry so that God will pour out his blessings now. You need to begin to take the authority that God has given you and claim all these blessings so that you don't have to wait on them, but you can experience them now. And I just want you to notice the obvious here. James is not a health and wealth preacher. He's not a prosperity preacher. He doesn't say, be patient. You just need to do the right thing so that God's blessing gets dumped out on your life tomorrow. He says, you need to be patient because Jesus is going to come back. That's when you experience your best life. Not now, not today, not tomorrow, but when Jesus comes back. That's a theological issue. The return of Jesus Christ for his people. And James is saying, look, you just need to say the serenity prayer. You need to count to ten and take a deep breath. You just need to list out all the good things in your life. He's not sort of giving us that kind of advice. He's beginning to give us theological advice. And he says, remember, Jesus is coming back. Number two, James wants us to know that the prophets suffered. We need to remember that. You say, what does that have to do with patience, suffering of the prophets? Well, Let's just back up and state the obvious. Most of the situations in our life where we need to be patient involve some kind of suffering. And I know we gave some silly examples earlier. You know, food at the restaurant, that it takes ten minutes to get your order out instead of five. Or <clears throat> you've got the dial-up internet instead of the, the super-fast 4G or 5G or whatever G we're up to. We can talk about all those silly examples, but you think about your life, the times when God is really putting you in the, in the crucible and you're really suffering. That's when you really need patience. James knows that. James knows that's the way you learn patience. It's not like a download straight to your brain where God just says, okay, I'm going to give you the patience file now, and you're going to have it up here, and you're just all of a sudden you're going to be patient. The way that he teaches you patience is by putting you in situations where you need to be patient. It's one of those things you be careful what you ask for. You start praying that God would make you a patient person. He just might do it. He might put you in a situation of suffering to say, okay, I'm going to teach you this. Those of us who are slow learners, maybe we keep wondering, why are all these things so, they're just grinding on me, and they're so difficult to understand. Maybe we just need to learn the lesson. It's in suffering that God teaches us patience. And James says, think about the prophets. The prophets. That's how they learned patience. They weren't just sort of holy men walking around who had it all put together and it was easy. These men suffered. And that's how God taught them patience. God's people have always suffered. Think about some of the prophets. Think about Isaiah. Isaiah, here's your preaching ministry. Go out and speak for me and know right out of the gate that no one will listen to you. Tell all of these people to repent and none of them are going to do it. That's your ministry. If you're going to do that, you're going to need patience. Think about Jeremiah. A man who experienced God's people being taken into exile. At times he was hunted down like an animal. At times he was left for dead. He had to learn patience through suffering. Think about Hosea and his wife. We'll talk about Hosea in a few weeks when we get to the minor prophets. He had to learn how to be patient through betrayal in his own house. The prophets, James says, think about these men and their suffering. And it was through that suffering that God taught them patience. What does that have to do with us today? Your suffering is not odd, it's not strange. We're all prone to sort of ask these why questions in a moment of suffering. And James is just saying, look, God's people have always suffered, and God has a purpose in it. And at least one of his purposes in your suffering is that you would learn patience. That's how he treated the prophets, that's how he treats his people. Number three, third encouragement to be patient it's the reality that we don't know everything. We don't know everything. Verse 11, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I just want you to think about Job for a moment. This might be my favorite part of James 5. The fact that in a lesson on patience, he brings up Job. It's fascinating to me because Job was really not all that patient. I mean, if you go back and read the book, it starts off pretty good, right? Round one of his suffering, he sort of says the right thing, and he does the right thing, and he gets the thumbs up at the end, and all these things he didn't send with his lips. And then here comes round two of suffering, and he's steadfast, and he's solid. But then his friends show up, and they start to try to figure everything out between the four of them. And the the train just goes off the track for Job. He gets irritable. He's discontent. He grumbles. He complains. He gets a little bit mouthy with God. I mean, if you read the rest of the book, chapter 3 onward, he's really not all that patient. And when it comes to the end, when God finally shows up and talks to him, Job is the one who ends up repenting, saying, I spoke about stuff that I really didn't understand. I, I didn't know what I was saying. And he had to learn patience. And you say, well, why would, why would James bring him up? if he, For most of the book, he's struggling with patience. Why bring him up as an example of patience? And I think there's maybe two reasons. One reason we could say that Job did handle things way better than his wife. Go back and read the book. Right out of the gate, she says, you just need to curse God and die. Today's my anniversary, and I hope my wife never says that to me under any, any circumstance or situation. Like you just, you make eye contact and you have that dreamy moment and your wife says, curse God and die. That's what Job heard. So he handled it way better than his wife. Secondly, we could say about Job, he learned how to be patient. He didn't, he didn't do it perfectly. And James is not setting Job up as the example to say, Job is your savior, Job Job was perfect, Job was the best. But he learned it, and in the end he repented. And he acknowledged at the end, I spoke about things that were too great for me. Here's the kicker of Job. When you get to the end of the book, and it's all being wrapped up, God never explains himself to Job. He never shows up and says, Okay, Job, now that you've come around to see things my way, let me give you the backstory on everything that was happening. You know, Satan was involved, and we were having this sort of this competition between the two, and this is what he never explains it. Never. On this side of eternity, Job never knew all the things that were really happening in his life. All he knew is that I suffered greatly. That's patience. When you don't have all the answers, you can't answer all the questions, you can't put a nice neat bow on top of all the things you've gone through in your life, and you still say, God, you're God, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to believe that you're going to be good for me in my life. You're going to be faithful to me. You're not going to betray me, and I trust you. That's Patience, that's what Job learned. L- look what, how, what James says, how he describes it. He says, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. How many of you read the book of Job and you read about all his suffering and you say, God is so compassionate. He's so merciful. Instead, we read those chapters and we say, that's tough. That's really hard. And James says, look, he didn't understand it all. Job didn't know how to connect all the dots in his life and things that were going on. But what he did learn is that even through his suffering, God is compassionate and God is merciful. And the in-between there, he doesn't know it all. We don't know it all. I don't know it all. You don't know it all. And James is saying, because you don't know everything, you should be patient. Now, just look at that list. This is pretty good advice. You want to teach your kids, you want to teach your grandkids, you want to sort of think through this issue in your own life. You say, okay, I need to be patient because Jesus is coming back and the prophets have suffered, so I know I'm going to suffer and God's going to teach me patience through that. And then I I don't know everything. Job didn't know everything. I don't know everything. You read that list and you say, okay, this is good. I think this can help me to be a little bit more patient. This is very helpful. And then you're going to walk out this door And you're going to get in your car and you're going to pull on to university. And somebody's going to pull in front of you. And you're going to blow it. Maybe not out loud because I just talked about it. But in your mind, you're going to be thinking, oh, that person should not be driving. And then you're going to go to lunch and they're going to mess your order up. Right? They always mess your order up. That's just how it goes. And you're going to be, you're, you're so hungry. The preacher talked so long. And then we had the Lord's Supper, and those crackers aren't very big. They just sort of wet your appetite with the, the cup. And I'm just dying for some food. And they messed it up, and they got to send it back now. Life happens, and you're going to continue to struggle with this issue. I mean, I can give you a list, and I can give you all these encouragements. You and I have something in our hearts the Bible calls sin, That means we are never going to be able to master this on our own. The point of James 5 is not to say, here's a nice, easy process for how you become a patient person. Do one, do two, do three, voila, patience. That means we need to go back and remind ourselves of the gospel. We need to remind ourselves about Jesus, and we need to remind ourselves of this truth. The gospel is the reason that James is saying all of these things to us. The good news about Jesus is the ground of everything that James says. We could say it another way. The gospel is the only remedy for impatience. Not a to-do list. Not a check these things off and then you're good. But the gospel. Let me give you three thoughts. One, it's God's patience that leads us to repentance. God's patience towards us, is the only reason that we're ever brought to repentance. We read from 2 Peter earlier that says this twice. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? If you sit in the room this morning and you have turned from your sin, and you've trusted in Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, you've trusted in the gospel, turned from your sin, the only reason that happened in your life is that God was patient with you. He could have destroyed you long ago and not been patient towards you. That wouldn't have been giving you a raw deal. That wouldn't have been unfair or unjust. But if you're here and you've trusted in the gospel, it's because God has been patient with you. Some of you are here in the room and you've never really turned from your sin. Maybe you felt bad about it, but you've never had a moment where you said, I acknowledge this is as bad as God says it is, and I'm turning away from it. I'm changing my mind about sin, and there's going to be a change in my life, and you have never trusted in Jesus. Maybe you've heard about Jesus, you've heard the stories about the cross, you've heard about the Easter story and the resurrection, but you've never actually trusted in Jesus, and you sit in the room this morning and you say, you know what? I'm an impatient person. I'm impatient. i How can an impatient, sinful, grumbling, irritable, discontent person have a right relationship with God? I need Jesus. I need the cross. And you're sitting in the room and you're thinking, I need that. I need somebody who died for my sin and my impatience. If that's you and you're in the room, it's not because I'm convincing. It's not because you just happen to be at the right place at the right time. It's because God has been patient with you. And his patience is leading you to repentance. God's patience lead us, leads us to repentance. This is why James 4.6 is true. James four 6, we've looked at it almost every week. He gives more grace. He gives more grace. He continues to give his people the opposite of what they deserve. Why? Because he, he's patient with them. He's abounding in love, steadfast love. He's slow to anger. He's patient, and that's meant to lead you to repentance. Number two, the Holy Spirit helps us grow in patience. It's not just a pull yourselves up by your bootstraps type thing. The Holy Spirit works this in our lives. Look what Paul says in Galatians 5, thinking about the fruit of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You may not have ever thought of the fruit of the Spirit as part of the gospel, but it is. The gospel begins with God being holy and you're a sinner and God sending His Son to die for your sin, to die for your impatience. And He calls you to repent of your sin, to change your mind and put it behind you, to trust in Jesus and what He's done on the cross. And then the good news keeps going. God gives His Spirit... To his people so that he not only saves them, but he changes them into the kind of people that he wants them to be. This is the whole point of of what James is writing about, right? If you flip back to James chapter 1, James started the whole book saying this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You say, ah, I just read that word in James 5. There's probably a connection there. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God's purpose in your life, if you're a Christian, is that you would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That includes patience. And it comes about through steadfastness. And James says that comes about through suffering. And what he's telling us is that, look... God not only saves his people from their sin, but he's going to change them into the kind of people that he wants them to be. And he gives a spirit to his people so that they can grow in patience. One last thought, thinking about us as a group. Our churches ought to be marked by patience. All the pronouns and all the verbs in the the passage we just read, they're all Plural. He's not talking to individuals like you. He's talking to a group like y'all, brothers, brothers and sisters, believers, Christians. He's talking to all of us. These things ought to be true of us as a group. And it makes a little bit of sense if you say, look, the Holy Spirit is making us as individuals patient people. We come together as a church. Our church ought to be a place that's marked by patience. That's true. But Paul spells it out even further in 1 Corinthians 13. Look what he says. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient. You say, oh yeah, I've read that verse. That's the wedding verse. That's the one about how husbands and wives ought to, you know, be patient with each other. The funny thing is this. If you go back to 1 Corinthians and you read chapter 12, it's not about marriage. It's about the church. And then if you keep reading past 1 Corinthians 13 and you read the next chapter, it's all about the church. Which leads me to believe that what he's talking about in the middle is not necessarily a marriage or a wedding, but church. And what he's saying is, what Paul is saying is, the love that you have for each other in your church family, first and foremost, it needs to be patient. Right? If God has saved you if His patience has led you to repentance, and if you have the Holy Spirit that is helping you to grow as a patient person, this ought to be true of the way you interact with each other. Not a a church full of people who hold grudges. Not a church full of people who want their way all of the time. Not a church full of people who complain and they're discontent and they're always sort of a a low-grade irritability, but people who love each other and people whose love is patient. So this morning we're going to take the Lord's Supper and I think it fits well thinking about the Lord's Supper as we think about this issue of patience. On one level the Bible calls us commands us to take the Lord's Supper until Jesus comes back and we've talked about that this morning. Right? We are growing in patience until Jesus comes back. But even more than that, when we take the Lord's Supper, we're remembering what God has done for us and what he's promised to do. What he's done is he sent Jesus. And in his body, he bore our sins on the cross. And with his blood, he purchased us. He redeemed us to be his people. And when we take the bread and we take the cup, we're remembering that our sin, our impatience was put on Jesus at the cross. And he paid the penalty for that sin. We're remembering that his blood was spilled to purchase us, people whose lives are marked by impatience. We're also remembering that Jesus is going to come back, and in the meantime, we, his people, have his spirit so that we can grow in patience. God not only saves us, but he continues to work in us to change us into the kind of people that he wants us to be. In all of it, we acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge our unworthiness. We know we haven't done anything to make ourselves right with God. We haven't done anything to make ourselves the kind of people that God wants us to be. But God has done it for us, and God is continuing to do it in us.